1492, as Columbus was on his way to discovering the new world, and Europe was on the brink of the Renaissance, the College of Cardinals gathered at the Sistine Chapel to elect a new pope. From three candidates, they chose the best compromise, Rodrigo Borgia. His leadership and legacy would force the Catholic Church itself to compromise again and again, stretching the papacy to its very limits with nepotism, illegitimate children, deviance, intrigue, gossip, war, and money. Long before the criminal organization that we know today, the Borgias invented the original mafia. Welcome to another episode of Blind History. I'm joined by my co-host, Anthony Meterer. I'm Gareth Cliff. This is uh, the episode concerning a family that were involved in, supposedly, orgies, poisonings, assassinations, greed, pretty much all the things you would expect from a Renaissance family, except this was the family of the Pope, no less. How are you doing, Ant? Very well, and you, Gareth? Yeah, I must tell you these Borgias, sure. Um, I know you were the one who came up with the idea of talking about them, but man, are they pretty crooked people. Sure, and everything you said in the intro, I mean, that's <laughs> most of it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, listen, the sources did not like him at the time, and this was such a momentous time. Maybe we should start there, is just by giving um, a, a kind of sketch of what was happening when when Alexander the Sixth, whose real name was Rodrigo Borgia, was elected pope. Um, it was exactly the same year that Columbus discovered America. The Catholic Church was going through a huge change. It was only a, less than a generation from then when the Great Reformation would take place. And when uh, another generation, perhaps from that, when Henry VIII decided to announce his big schism with the Catholic Church. But it's also the time where great artists like uh, Michelangelo, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, these people lived. So it must have been an extremely exciting time to be alive. What do you think Rome was like at that time? So Rome, is, as we know it today, we, we wouldn't recognize it. Um, just prior to the Renaissance, it had gone through terrible times. I think it was a rickety town with 20,000 people in it. It was dirty. But the Renaissance changed it. It gave it a second shot since, since the, the Roman Empire. You know, So Italy was back on top of the world, starting at this period now in the time of the Borgers. Well, it was also a bit of a mess, Italy, because it was ruled by little city-states and, and nations which were technically papal states and, and should have belonged to the Pope, both in terms of their spiritual belonging to him, but also in terms of the land themselves, the land itself. And the people who ruled these city-states were these old noble families of, of ancient Italy. I mean, we've got the Orsinis and the Della Roveres and the... um the De Medici's and the Sforzas and these people. And it's very complicated and we don't need to go into the detail of it. But essentially, one of the things that Alexander VI Rodrigo managed to get right during his lifetime was to ally his family with many of these, these families that had been in Italy for many hundreds of years before then. They were Spanish and, um, and it's not easy to become Pope if you're Spanish mm. and, and an outsider. And, there was also quite a bit of luck involved because the families were sort of evenly matched in wanting to appoint one of their own, especially a Calixus, which was Rodrigo's uncle. He was the first pope and the first member of the Borgia family 
to gain prominence. And then later on, Rodrigo, once again, there was almost like a stalemate. And then he was appointed Pope. So that did play so into his of, hands. They sort of came through the middle um, and unexpectedly took the election, mostly because the two families who were always going at each other in, in every papal election just didn't have enough votes. So they ended up going with someone else. Yeah, 100% correct, yes. But it's worth saying that at this point, the Renaissance papacy was really like a – it was like winning the lotto to become pope because all you did from then on was you put your own family forward. In fact, the, the word for nephew in, in Latin, nepo, nepotism comes from that word. And it was very particular to the popes because what popes used to do is they weren't meant to have children. They were meant to be celibates. It was one of the reasons that they separated from the Greek Orthodox Church. And popes did have children. Um, Alexander VI had. And, and that was considered beyond the pale. So what they would do is they would lie and say that their nephews, who were actually their sons, were meant to have ex-posting or Y land or see cardinalate or whatever it was that they were given but these uh, these borgias they really have been given a rough ride by history and there are a lot of people who since then have said they weren't so bad in fact two successors of alexander sixtus the fifth and urban the seventh or urban the eighth i can't remember which one described him as one of the most outstanding popes since saint peter that sounds like high praise for someone who others have described as the most debaucherous pope that ever lived now, tell me why people had such a bad idea of this guy and, and what he had done to upset everyone so much. When he was Pope, he worked very hard to alienate and sort out the, the powerful families in Italy. So he made a lot of enemies. Then the other thing was simony, which was related to selling of benefits, etc. Yes, that's correct. So that comes from, from Simon, who was a magician who eventually converted to Christianity in the early days of the Christian faith. But it was considered a crime, right? Correct. And then also the fact that he wasn't celibate. I mean, I can just mention a few popes that prior to him, Paul II died in 1471 and he died of a stroke while being sodomized by a page boy. So, you know, I mean, oh Sixtus the, was the, the fourth, a pope, hundred <laughs> percent. And then Sixtus the fourth elected in 1471, just after Paul was sodomized, six illegitimate children, including one with his sister. And he appointed six nephews. So that's nepotism. And then Innocent the Seventh, elected in, in 1484, he had eight illegitimate children. And then afterwards, Julius II, he was one of the most ferocious popes of the period. And he contracted syphilis from, from prostitutes. And then his feet were covered in sores. And so no one could kiss his feet in oh any way. Oh, my God. And those are just some of the popes that existed around that time. So Exactly. So then, you know, the Borgias don't seem so bad when you do that. But for whatever <laughs> reason, they've been portrayed. I mean, the, you know, this Netflix TV series on it. There's so much been written about it. Now, this Pope, Alexander VI, is it true that there were orgies in the Vatican at the time he was Pope? Sure. I don't know if I can, you know, obviously it's what I read and it's once again, we don't know. I mean, it depends on whose side you're on. I read a story about how there were women crawling around naked and picking up chestnuts with their mouths and their private parts. And men and women were then led to pleasure themselves at the sight of all of this in the Borgia apartments of the Vatican, as they are today. Those same apartments that were painted by Raphael and that are so beautiful that tourists walk through every single day. We imagine popes sitting in piety, praying in those rooms, but it could quite easily have been as debaucherous as described. 
where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, Rodrigo, it happened a few years before in Siena. He was, he was reprimanded by the then Pope. So he, I think he enjoyed that part of, <laughs> part of life. You know, I'm not an expert on it, so, but I wouldn't put it past Rodrigo. Listen, never a dull day. Now, the word Borgia has in Italian um, become a byword for libertinism and for nepotism, which obviously are related to this pope in particular. You definitely can say with, with Rodrigo, one thing that he was, he was never vindictive. He didn't do anything out of spite. You look at his career and you couldn't fault him on his religious side. He was very, very committed on that side. And also he was a great administrator. He spent 36 years with four popes as vice chancellor. So, I mean, probably the most experienced operator. And most, a lot of those popes were, were not great. Um, and he really was running the show for the Catholic Church during that time. So he was very, very well organized. Well, he made some interesting decisions while he was Pope um, Alexander VI. He decided to basically cut South America in two. Um, everything east of a certain line was given to Portugal. Everything west of a certain line was given to Spain. And we still sit with that today. His decision in the Vatican at that time meant that Brazil is still Portuguese speaking and that the rest of South America essentially speaks Spanish. And it's because of that Pope. Actually, a great time to be alive, I suppose, you know, finding the new world and also being so instrumental because he had a, he had a very, very good relationship with Isabella and Ferdinand, who'd basically set Columbus on his way. So he was very much part of that. Actually, he, he was the godfather to one of the children of, of the couple. But his children were interesting people in their own right. It's worth mentioning that Cesare was made a cardinal at a very young age and went after a while realizing that you know this was not for him. He was not cut to be a man of the cloth, that fighting and hunting and that kind of thing was much more up his alley, as it was for his father. And Cesare ended up being something of a general. In fact, Machiavelli, when he wrote The Prince, spent quite a lot of time studying Cesare Borgia. Cesario was just an arrogant, uh, very, very intelligent individual who just wanted to build his own empire so that when his dad passed away, he would have something to, to fall back on. An interesting story around Cesario, and just to give an idea of what type of person he was, during the beginning of the tenure of Alexander VI, who was Rodrigo as Pope, Charles VIII of France decided, no, he now wants to become king of Naples, which he wasn't at the time. And then he, wants, he also wanted to be king of Jerusalem. So he was convinced by one of the powerful family members to come across and take it over. So he had 30,000 or 40,000 troops unheard of. So he just blasted through without actually even firing a shot because everybody scattered. Nobody can compete with his, with his big cannons. And he ended up in Rome and he said to the Pope, I'm going to take your son hostage as a legate, he's going to come with me down to Naples um, to, to take over the throne. And that's what they did. And they took all the jewels of the Pope and unpacked them on mules and off they went. And that night or the second night they were out, Cesare escaped. And not only did he escape from them, but he also took the mules back and went back to Rome with the jewels. And you'd think his dad would be happy, but his dad actually admonished him for that, <laughs> that episode. <laughs> Lucretia, the sister, she was famous in history for being the chief poisoner of the Renaissance time, apparently she had a hollow ring which she would wear. And inside the ring, she would store poison. And she would frequently use this poison to poison drinks. And at one point, her father and her brother fell ill from poisoning. And they all thought that maybe she had been the one who tried to poison them because obviously, you know, rumors were doing the rounds at that point. 
But that's also unfair because she, by the time that she died, had become every inch the Italian noble princess that her father had hoped she would. And she died as the Duchess dell'Este. After three marriages, she eventually found the love of her life and produced um, children for him, dying in childbirth, of all things. Johan, I think she was more of an instrument for the ambitious projects that her brother and her her dad <laughs> were hatching. And I think right. that that had a lot to do with it. And I mean, the brother knocked off her second husband. Um, <laughs> Giovanni. Him, yeah. yeah, exactly. He had him killed for some reasons. It's worth mentioning that Lucrezia also had a first-rate education, and, and she was put in positions that no woman had ever held before. In fact, when uh, Pope Alexander went away on, on a tour of his provinces, he left her in charge of his papal apartments, and she was actually replying to the papal correspondence. She would call meetings of the cardinals, and if there was anything seriously wrong, she had to make decisions. So that is probably the only occasion in the history of the church that a woman was left in charge to make decisions inside the Vatican, while basically inhabiting the office of the Pope. And she was very well respected. You know, after her dad had died, she was the only Borgia that sort of carried on the legacy. And as you said earlier, it was quite sad that she died in childbirth, I think, at the age of, of 39. What was very, very interesting was at the time, the fathers and the daughters used to watch sexual acts, such as a stallion mating with a, with a mare. Um, not just the Borgias, and they had these type of strange rituals that, that, that they used to partake in. And the same applied to Lucrezia and her dad, Rodrigo. That sounds very odd, but it, I suppose at that stage it might have stood in for some kind of sex education. <laughs> just trying Possibly. to imagine what, what purpose it had. But yes, they were accused of incest. In fact, it was one of Lucrezia Borgia's husbands whom um, she was trying to get a divorce from. And they, of course, said to him, look, we're going to tell people that you didn't consummate the marriage in order to get the divorce. That would have impacted on his masculinity very badly. I mean, which man wants to have everyone know that he couldn't consummate his marriage? So he came up with this theory that she actually wanted to sleep with her father and that they were an incestuous couple. It's interesting, the, the Della Rovere family, who we've spoken about, and, and Julius II, who became Pope much later on, uh, spread a rumor that the Borgias were actually Jews. Um, Jews, of course, at the time were, were persecuted horrifically. And there was a black legend that was started by Julius II. And he basically spread this rumor that, you know, these people were secretly Jews and that that was why he had allowed some 9,000 impoverished Iberian Jews into the Papal States and had accepted the immigration of Jews from Portugal in late 1497 and Provence in France in 1498. So these ugly rumors had a way of spreading faster than wildfire. And I think that's really what made up the bad reputation for the Borgias. There were a lot of people that hated them. I think the biggest thing was Spain at the time, uh, what wasn't actually called Spain. Spain also had a few states in it, and Aragon particularly was painted with a tar brush. And then they, just being Spanish, the Borgias were just painted with that brush as well. So that was one of the issues. And then second of all, they were outsiders. So they weren't part of the, as you mentioned, all the different families. So so any chance to spread bad rumors and smut, et cetera, that's what they did. And I think thirdly, which was important, is they were not successful enough. It sounds strange to say that because they reached the top of the world in the Catholic Church. But um, they came in and there was no, there was no legacy after that. So the minute uh, Rodrigo died, his son was thrown into jail 
And so that was the end of the dynasty, whereas a lot of the other popes and a lot of the other families took a long time to build themselves up. Well, it's worth saying this, and I'm going to quote from De Mestre in his work Du Pape, which was about the papacy. He said, you know, the alleged misdeeds of Alexander are similar in nature to those of all the other Renaissance princes. And the one exception was probably that he was the pope. But he wrote the following about him. He said, the latter are forgiven nothing because everything is expected from them, whereas the vices likely passed over in a Louis XIV become most offensive and scandalous in an Alexander VI. So even just a few years after that, they'd started to realize that it wasn't worth persecuting this pope unfairly when, as you've pointed out, so many other popes were much more badly behaved, if not as badly behaved, and that most of the princes of Europe at that stage were doing all of those things. Sadly, I suppose, it, it just makes for such a good story. And, and maybe with the other popes, their children or illegitimate children, whatever it might be, weren't so aggressive or so made such a big noise in Italy as Cesario did. Yeah, very, very interesting family. Um, obviously, they married into the Italian noble family. Some of them continue to this day to be descendants of the Borgias, but largely an unsuccessful dynasty, as pointed out at the beginning, too. Um, what started off with Alphonse, who became Calixtus, and ended with uh, Pope Alexander VI, was probably one of the shortest dynasties in papal history. Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If we look at Vlad the Impaler, so that was one of our friends that we did in season two, and nobody actually thanked him for the hard, tireless work that he did by impaling half the Ottomans. So he was really working very, very hard to, to you know, for, for the Pope and Christianity at yeah. the time. <laughs> That's a hell of a thing.